So our reading this morning is from 1 John and chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who, who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's saviour. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone else, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Thank you, Carrie. Please uh, keep your Bibles open at that passage. We're going to be looking at uh, particularly verses 7 uh, to 11 this morning. Before we do, let's pray again. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you for uh, the fact that this is your word to us. These are your words and they are truth. And they are challenging, yes, uh, but they are nonetheless true. Uh, And Lord, we pray as we read them, as we've just done, as we study them uh, over the next few moments. Lord, we pray that you'll be speaking to us directly to our hearts. Help me as I speak. Help us as we listen. Open our hearts. Open our minds and open our ears to hear you speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start this morning uh, by taking you back to school with some biology. Now maybe that's just a few days ago for some people here uh, this morning, Uh, but for others like me it's a bit longer than that. Yeah, (laughs) we've got some some nods at the back. For me, uh, about 30 years ago, uh, for some a few more, some a few less. Uh, as well. Now, I'm sure when you were at school, you would have done some biology, and in, in that, you probably would have learned a little bit about genetics. So, you may know that all living organisms inherit their physical characteristics from their biological parents, and that these characteristics are passed down through something called DNA. That DNA inside their cells that make up that living thing, be it a plant or an insect or an animal. 
This DNA can be thought of as perhaps a set of instructions that tells that cell what it's to be and how it's to behave. Now, some interesting facts. There's a lot of commonality of DNA between all living organisms. Okay? Did you know that you are 60% similar to a banana? You're 96% similar to a chimpanzee. That's easier to believe, isn't it? Uh, And you're 99.9% similar to everyone else in this room here this morning. But you'll be more than 99.9% similar to your biological parents. That DNA that's in both of your parents is combined and passed down to you. And that shared ancestry of DNA means that you will often look like them, uh, you'll perhaps sound like them, you'll act like them and sometimes react like them as well. You simply can't help it. It's just the way you were born. Well, John's line of thought in these verses today is similar. He says, we must love one another because now we are born of God. Now we have God's DNA affecting the way we act towards one another. We can't help it. It's just the way we were born. One of the fundamental concepts of the biblical Christian faith is that of being born again. A concept that captures that transition that occurs when someone becomes a Christian. A transition that's so radical that it's like you've been born for a second time. Jesus first used the phrase when speaking to a man called Nicodemus. In John 3, he says, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It comes up time and time again, all the way through the New Testament, underpinning something that the writer is trying to explain. And our passage today is one of those. It begins with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Jesus went on to say in his conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, verse 5, he said, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, when you become a Christian, you have an additional parentage. You start with your biological parents, with whom you share all of your DNA, which gives you that physical makeup, but now, additionally, you've been given a new spiritual life. You've been born again. And that spiritual life comes from being born, uh, in the, born of the Spirit. And notice here that it's written with a capital S. So you're born of the Holy Spirit, born, in other words, of God. So as a result of this new life, just like you share characteristics with your biological parents, you will now share characteristics as well with your spiritual parent, that is God. As Christians, as people born of God, we're to love one another because God loves. We're to love one another because, as John puts it, God is love. Now, if love sounds like a familiar theme of John's letter, then you would be right. He's talked about love and loving each other already at least twice, 
in this first letter. He's often referred to as the apostle of love for a good reason. In fact, there was a story that circulated in the early church, a story that I've actually told before, but it's worth repeating, that when John became too old to preach, he used to be carried into the church by the younger men. And as he came into church and people greeted him, he would always encourage everyone he met with the same phrase. He would say, little children love one another. And when asked why he so often repeated this message, he simply responded, because it's the Lord's command, and if you do this, it is enough. In the same way, in this letter, this theme of love comes up over and over again, particularly between Christians. It comes up over and over again, each time looking at the subject from a slightly different point of view. It's like he's in a spiral landing pattern when coming into land at Heathrow. I've been stuck in those spiral landing patterns uh, a number of times in the past. Maybe, maybe you have too. You think you're nearly home, you think you're about to land, uh, but you end up circulating in this massive loop uh, over London, waiting for your plane's turn uh, to come into land. Gradually you get closer and closer as you go round and round each loop until eventually you get to the bottom of the spiral and you pop out and come into land. Well, that seems to be John's approach in this letter. He spirals around his subject, looking at it from different points of view, and then he lands at the centre of it all. This verse, these verses in chapter 4 from 7 to 11 are that centre that he's been heading towards in each of his previous loops around the subject. In chapter 2, he writes about an old command that's been there from the beginning, newly demonstrated in Jesus. A command to love one another as a result of being in the light of God, as a result of understanding God and who he is. And in chapter 3, the subject comes up again, and this time he says that we should love one another because we want to be like Jesus. We should love like Jesus. That love for each other should be demonstrated in the same way as Jesus demonstrated his love for us. Then we come to chapter 4, verse 7, and we have that same command, love one another. But this time the focus is on the source of that love and how it should impact our lives. That source being God himself, of whom we are now his spiritual children. John's logic through this section goes like this. God is love. We are born of God. Therefore, we must love. God is love. He has shown us this by what he's done in his son, Jesus. We are born of God. We've been born of the Spirit. Uh, We are born again. Therefore, we must love. We now have God as our parent. So we will inevitably be like him. In many ways, that sounds wonderfully simple, doesn't it? But if you think it through, it quickly becomes quite difficult, I think, to comprehend. Because we discover that this simple statement hits on some of the deepest and most profound themes in the whole Bible. Because it gets right to the heart of who God really is and what he's done for us. But also, what we as humans are really like. Because, of course, we all love to be loved, don't we? We like to think about how much God loves us, and that rightly makes us feel good. We like to know that our family and our friends love us too. 
but for all of us, showing that same love that God shows turns out to be very hard. Particularly when we realise John's not talking about people that we would naturally love, but he's applying this into the church context. And the church is full of people who perhaps we would not normally naturally get on with or be friends with. Even sometimes it contains people that we find difficult to love. John says that we're to love these people as God loves us. So why is that? Why are we not all immediately loving as John seems to suggest we should be? Well, to help us dig a bit deeper into these things, I've got three questions to go through. Three questions that I hope in answering will help us understand better what John is talking about. And as a result, hopefully be able to help us be as John commands. So the first question, first question is this, what kind of love is John talking about here? It's an important question because if we can define what John means, then maybe it will shed some light on the rest of this passage. It's important because right here at the beginning, John says something very interesting. Verse 7, he says, everyone who loves has been born of God. But we all know lots of people who would never claim to be Christians, people who are certainly not born again, in fact, people who claim even to be atheists, all of whom show love to their family and to their friends. So how is it that John can claim that everyone who loves has been born of God? Well, I think the simple answer is this, that he's talking about a very specific kind of of love, Not just love that all people show, all people are capable of, but a very specific kind of love. He says in verse 7, because love is from God. That love that John is talking about is the kind of love that God demonstrates and gives to his children. John is interested here in how God loves. And that very same type of love being present in all who are born again. So let's see if we can define uh, what that love is. John helpfully clarifies what he means in verses 9 and 10. At the beginning of each of these two verses, you can see that he's defining what he means. Look at the beginning of verse 9. He says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. And verse 10 at the beginning also says, love consists in this. So he's defining it. What does he say? Well, he shows us that God's love, God loves sacrificially. He says, God sent his one and only son. He was happy to sacrificially give the one thing that was most precious to him. And not just give him up to come into the world, that would be enough, a world that's full of sin and hostility to God, but having come, as what's referred to here in verse 10, as an atoning sacrifice which means to use him to take away the anger and wrath that God should directly, uh, should rightfully direct at us instead of, uh, instead he directs at Jesus. So his love, we can say, is sacrificial. But more than that, these verses show us that God was happy also to take the initiative uh, in his love. Verse 9 says God sent his son. Verse 10 says, not that we loved God. He wasn't responding to us requesting, he was taking the initiative. <coughs> Ephesians 2, verse 4, 
very famous verse says, uh, makes this even clearer. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. We were so blinded by sin, we did not even know that we needed saving. And yet God still acted out of love. We were in no position to even cry out to be saved. That God sent his son, because of his great love, he took the initiative. But more than that, still, back in, back in 1 John, these verses show us that God was acting completely independently, completely of his own free will. Verse 10 says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He wasn't reacting to something in us. He did not see that we are good in our hearts and act accordingly. No, he was acting simply because, as it says, God is love. He did not expect anything in return, and yet he still sent his son of his own free will to die on our behalf. But these verses also show us the length that God was prepared to go to save us, to give us life. Again, verse 10, sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's wrath for sin needed to be turned away for that relationship with us that he so desires to be restored. Lengths that required the sacrifice of his only son. Lengths that required all the sin of everyone who believes to be placed on his shoulders and for him to suffer the consequences. God was prepared even to do this. Whatever was necessary, nothing was too costly to restore us to that relationship we now have with him. But let's go outside uh, of 1 John as well, to that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, starts with this. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it's not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's how God loves. This is the love that John is therefore referring to. This is love that's unique to God, and I think John is telling us that it's also unique to Christians, those born of God, those enabled, by, enabled to love by the Holy Spirit coming to live uh, within them. A love that's supremely demonstrated by God through him sending his Son. A love that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A supernatural love. Not a love that comes naturally to us as humans, a love that we find impossible to imitate in our own strength, at least for any length of time. So what kind of love is John talking about in these verses? What kind of love is John saying that we should have for each other? It's a love that's supernatural, a love that's unique, love that comes from God, love that's different to anything that comes naturally to us. So, are you showing that love to those around you today? Are you demonstrating that love to your family, to your husband, to your wife, to your friends, or perhaps, hardest of all, to your fellow church members? Because John is very direct here. He says you should be. 
That brings us on to the next question. The second question that I want us to think about is this. Why, therefore, do I not love like this? If I'm born of God, uh, if I've become a Christian, if I know that God has opened my eyes to believe the truth, then why do I not demonstrate this love? I might say, well, okay, I can see sometimes that love is there, but very often we all know it isn't. Very often my heart is saying the opposite. Why is this? Because the logic of this passage seems to suggest that I should love as God loves. And why do I need to be repeatedly told to love as well? Why did John and the other writers in the New Testament command us to love so often? When these verses, again, just seem to state that it should be automatic. It's an important question, isn't it? Because if it's not answered correctly, it's one that can knock our confidence and assurance that we're even saved. And that isn't John's intention uh, in this letter. He wants to encourage us and build us up. So we need to understand what he is saying. Well, the first thing to note is if you are finding loving hard, is that you're in good company. The very fact that John feels it necessary to appeal to us to love one another twice in these five verses tells us that he's not expecting to see a perfect 10 out of 10 score in this matter. Verse 7 starts with, Dear friends, let us love one another. Verse 11 is similar. Dear friends, if if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. So if those in the early church that he was writing to directly were already doing this, if we were already doing this, he wouldn't have any need to appeal to us, would he? So it's clear that while John says that we must love one another like God loves us, he is not necessarily expecting us to be doing it already, at least not doing it all of the time. This is also clearly seen elsewhere in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians 3 uh, and verse 12, Paul prays for the church uh, that their love would increase. He says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. Paul would have no need of this prayer if it was already happening. So why does John's logic not hold true here? Well, the root of the problem is, of course, our sin. The problem of ongoing sin in our lives is not immediately solved when we become a Christian. So while we can categorically say that we are born of God and that God is living in us, despite these two things being true, we are also still a work in progress and therefore still prone to sin. Let me be very clear here. When we're born again, when we become a Christian, the punishment and guilt for our sin is completely paid, once and for all. The condemnation and eternal consequence of sin is dealt with there and then. But, having said that, we still have sinful bodies. We still have sinful desires. We are still selfish. We're still self focused. Over time these desires will get less, we should expect that, yes, but you won't be sinless until you get to heaven. Our experience will be like that of the Apostle Paul, who wrote in Romans chapter 7 verse 22, for in my inner self I delight in God's law, 
But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But our experience of the Christian life will be like that, seeing what we're supposed to be, desiring with all our hearts uh, to be as we should, but often falling short. It's going to be a battle. It's one that we will have to fight through all of our lives. But please don't lose hope in that battle. I mentioned earlier that the writer of this letter is the Apostle John. And John is often referred to as the Apostle of Love because of what he wrote in verses like these that we're looking at today. But it's worth noting uh, that John was not always known in this way. You probably remember that when Jesus chose his apostles, to some of them, he gave different names, names that had a meaning. For instance, Peter was not Peter's original name. His original name was Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter because it means rock. And Peter was to be one of the rocks on which Jesus would build his church. Well, for John and his brother James, the name Jesus gave wasn't quite so complimentary. Mark 3 records uh, this. It says, And to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, same John as we're talking about today, he gave the name Bonerges. Difficult to say, Bonerges. That is, it means sons, (laughs) sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. In other words, John and his brother were both known for their fiery tempers, and Jesus named them accordingly. It's a fact that's demonstrated a few times in the Gospel accounts, uh, but the clearest, I think, is in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says this, When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him, because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? That wasn't the reaction of the apostle of love. So it's interesting then, isn't it, that God should choose this man This man, John, with a fiery temper, who naturally demonstrated none of the characteristics of love that we're just talking about, God would use him to write this letter and call for all Christians everywhere, all of the Church of Christ, to love one another. So don't lose hope. If God contains John, this son of thunder, into the apostle of love, he is more than capable of changing you too. And quite honestly, if you're looking at how God loves and are bothered by the fact that you fall short of doing the same, then I think that's actually a positive sign. Because it means you understand the difference between God's love and love that comes naturally to you. You see they are different and therefore you see that to be able to love like God, you are completely dependent on him and on his strength. Completely dependent on being born of God. So why do I I not love like God? Simply because of sin. I am not the finished product. I'm still 
a work in progress. One day, yes, to be completed, but not yet. So that leads us on to the last question. We've seen what kind of love John is talking about here. We've seen that very often we don't demonstrate that love as we should, but that takes us naturally, I think, onto this last question. How can I love like this? Maybe you're thinking, I want to love like this. I see that I should. I know that I'm born of God. I want that love of his to shine in my life towards others. But how can that happen? How can I love like this? Well, the simple answer is that we need to become what we are. Verse 11 says, If God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. This is the kind of must here that says the sun must produce heat and light. It must because that is what it is. That's what it does. It's the kind of must that says fish must swim, birds must fly, animals must breathe. This is, this is just what they do. This is what they are. This is what defines them. And Christians must love because this is what they are. We are, not, and we are not to attempt to imitate God in this way. We need to become what God has made us. John points us in verse 7 and 8 uh, to the key in this, and that is knowing God. He says, if everyone who loves has been born of God, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. He says, the one who loves knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. So knowing God, therefore, must be crucial. Knowing God results in loving like him. So that means if we don't know God at all, then we cannot love like God at all. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, John says the same thing to us here. To love like God, you must be born again. When you are born again, when you become a Christian, a relationship is formed between you and God. You get to know God. You know how much he loves you. You know what he has done uh, on your behalf. You know how much he values you. You know that he cares for you. Of course, there's more to know, but that journey has begun. So perhaps it's stating the obvious, but John, I think, is clear here if you have not started that journey, if you are not a Christian, if you have not been born again, then you cannot love as John is outlining here. But if you are already on that journey and want to know how you can love as God loves, then I think John is saying simply you need to get to know God better. If you want to become who you are, if you want to become who God has made you, then know God more. Because knowing God results in loving like him. When we fail to love as God loves, then this is due to our sin and due to our ignorance, our sin getting in the way. We sometimes forget or even sometimes choose to ignore and therefore not be who we are. But by getting to know God more, step by step, the effects of that sin can be overcome. As we draw to a conclusion, I want to get practical. Let's see what steps we can take to get to know God better? What steps can we take to become who we are and to love as God loves? I've listed three here. First, 
we need to recognise that sin is a problem in our lives. Even, even as Christians, that we are completely dependent on Jesus for forgiveness and will continue to be dependent for the rest of our lives. And that, I mean that because of this sin that still blots our lives, there will be times when we are not live, loving as we should be. So step one in any practical advice is deal with that sin. Go to the cross, confess it before God and have, have it dealt with by Jesus. Second, let's recognise that the love that John is talking about here is not something that occurs naturally in us. And as a result, not something that we can just conjure up or naturally just do ourselves. We have complete dependence on him as the source of that unique love that we've just been talking about. We love because God first loved us. We love because we are born of God. So step two is see this love as supernatural. See that it does indeed come from God and therefore pray. Pray that he would help it to be seen in our lives. And third, see that this relationship that we have with God can be influenced by our actions, both negatively and positively. So take action to get to know God better and you'll find that you love more like him. So spend time drawing closer to God. Spend time reading the Bible. Read the Bible more. Find some ways to get into a regular Bible reading habit in whatever way suits you best. Dig around, try a few methods. If you're stuck for ideas, come and ask someone. Pray more, spend more time praying. Be more organised in what you pray for. Try expanding the scope uh, of who you pray for. Read more Christian books. Books about the Bible, biographies, books of sermons, anything that gets you thinking uh, about God. Something I found particularly helpful a few uh, years back, someone pointed me to a series of biographical talks that John Piper had done on influential Christians down through the centuries. I found these very helpful in getting to know God better. Incidentally, they're now available in a book which, which you can purchase that I would highly recommend. And spend more time with Christians. Put yourself in places and with people who you know will influence you and encourage you in your relationship with God. All of these things will help you take some positive action in getting to know God better. And as a result, all of these will help you to love like God loves. So we're seeing that John's logic here is that we must love one another because God is love and we are born of him. And we've seen that this love is unique in its character and in its source. And we've seen that very often we don't display this love as we ought. But by getting to know God better, our love for one another will grow. And just imagine, just imagine with me what a difference it would make if we all obeyed this command of John's. If we're all growing in knowledge of God, if we're all loving one another as God does love us. Think about the difference it would make in our friendships. If every friendship we had was based on us sacrificially helping each other out. Being there when needed, giving up time as necessary. Think about the difference it would make in our marriages. If every time there was a problem, we took the first step in saying sorry, the initiative in reaching out 
uh, and showing affection. We were always the one to take a risk without any expectation in return. Think about the difference it would make to our church. If we're happy to do whatever is necessary to encourage a brother or sister in their walk with Christ, to bear with each other's faults, to patiently endure all things for their sake. Think about the difference it would make to our communities uh, as well. John 13, 35 says this. This is Jesus speaking. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how our communities will get to know God for themselves, by seeing <clears throat> God's own love shown for each other in the church. Of course, they also need to hear the gospel, but our communities need to see the gospel being lived out. Lived out in the words of John, love one another because love is from God. So let's pray as we finish this morning. And as we pray, I want us to think about the words of the Apostle Paul that he writes in Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 18. He says this, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. Let's pray that for ourselves now as we finish. Our Father in heaven, we We thank you for that unique love that you have that's between you and uh, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but also shown towards us, demonstrated to us as we've just been reading through, sending your Son so that we can have relationship restored with you. We thank you for the length of that love as that verse has just reminded us what you were prepared to do, to die, to send Jesus, to die on our behalf. For the width of that love, how wide that offer of salvation is to everyone in the whole world who's ever lived. Think about the heights of that love, how we'll be taken, raised up into heaven, the glories that are now ours to be called sons and daughters of God. And we think of the depth that you were prepared to sink to, to send your son down here to this earth, to this sinful world, even to the death of a cross. Lord, we pray with Paul that you would help us to comprehend this love in our lives. And we pray also that you would help us, as we do comprehend it more, to show it to one another as we're commanded. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.